So I'm, I'm really looking forward today to sharing with you a good word from Psalm 139. Someone said to me after the second service, David, we could spend a whole month on Psalm 139. And I said, we could, but I won't do it at 1110. But my point is, it's a, it's a beautiful psalm, and it is filled with such richness and beauty and power. And this psalm, David is writing, talks about the presence of God, the presence of God, that God is with us always, and that that's a good thing, and that we can trust God. We can trust God with who we are and what's going on in our life. So let me ask you this question before we read the psalm, because sometimes when people read this psalm, they think it comes across as bad news, when it's really a psalm of good news. So does it scare you to think that God knows everything about you? Sometimes. Oftentimes, we think, well, if God knew everything about me, that's not a good thing because I'm not proud of everything about me. And the idea that God would know everything about you can be scary and frightening. And the way we think about God to a large degree has been shaped by the homes that we grew up in. If you grew up in a home with parents that were judgmental and difficult and distant and cold and critical, you will tend to view God as distant, cold, and critical, and judgmental. And the idea that God would know everything about you would mean that you would not measure up, you would be ashamed, you'd want to hide yourself, you'd want to be away from God. Or if you grew up in a home where, where your family was warm and embracing, and you went to a church that was warm and embracing, uh, you, you would think of God as being warm and embracing. And so you would welcome God into your life, and you'd want to share who you are, and you wouldn't want to be afraid. I know that there are people who are sitting here this morning and you're wrestling with a lot of stuff in your life. We all do every day. Wrestling about your past, wrestling about a mistake that you've made or a problem that you have or a way that you've embarrassed yourself. And what I want to share with you is the good news of the psalm is that God knows everything all about you and your life and no mistake is ever forever and you can always begin again and God can always take what's happened to you in your life and use it to grow you. The consequences of our actions are the things that God uses to shape our character. Let me say that again. The consequences of our actions, God uses to shape our character. And I want to begin by looking at the last verse of the psalm, and then we're going to circle back to it. The last verse of the psalm, David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. At the beginning of the psalm, he says, God knows everything about you. He is familiar with all your ways. There's nothing about you that God doesn't know. God knows you better than you know yourself. And then David comes in and says, knowing that God knows everything about me and knowing that God is good and can be trusted, therefore, God, search me. Know me. Know my heart. Know what is in my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there's anything in my life that needs to be changed. You know, God, if there's anything offensive in me, lead me in the way that you want me to go. The idea here, the idea here is that, that God wants what's best for you. That God doesn't want to harm you. That God's not out to condemn you. God is out 
to bring the best out of you so that you can be the best person that you are. And no matter what mistake you've made, no matter what good thing you've done, God can use everything in your life to create you, to recreate you, to renew you, to redeem you, to shape you. Everything in your life is fertile soil for God to work in your life. That's what David writes. So when I look at this psalm, Psalm 139, and we're going to read through the various sections of it, I'm going to work your way through it, and hopefully it will be a tool for you. But if I were to put a heading over the top of this psalm, I would say this is about the presence of God and the character of God, who God is. And the first thing that we learn from Psalm 139 is that God is infinite, but God is also intimate. We learn in the psalm that God is all-knowing and beyond-knowing. That no human being on the earth can fully describe God or completely know who God is. Because God is beyond us. God is holy. But at the same time, God is also intimate. That God is also personal. That God is bigger than my life and your life. God created everything, but at the same time, God can be known. The all-knowing God is knowable. That is the Christian narrative. The story that the God of creation, the God that made the heavens and the earth, that this God is infinite, became, became incarnate, became a human being, came to the earth, became a knowable person. And that when you look at Jesus, you see what God is like. You see that God is intimate. You see that God that cares about you. So it's a, it's a powerful thing to know this as we begin the psalm, that God is infinite and intimate. Now let's look at what he says here in the psalm, right here at the beginning. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 7. He says as he begins, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. God knows you better than you know yourself. There's nothing about my life you don't know. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Now just reflect on that for a minute. God is familiar with all your ways. Personal example. A week ago, I, I uh, loaded up my car and loaded up my son's car and made the drive to Danville with all his stuff. Starting school this week. So we dropped him off. I dropped him off. And then and Alex and I carried his stuff up and down, up and down, a couple flights of stairs, you know, for a couple hours, setting his room up. Get him in, you know, you've done this maybe, you've been there, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's exhausting, up and down, setting stuff up. And in the midst of all this, we're already tired, a little bit frustrated and hot. Alex loses his wallet. Now, Alex is always losing his wallet. This is a daily conversation. Now, when he was younger, Alex would lose his wallet and ask me why I lost his wallet. What would you do with my wallet? It's your wallet. So I said, where, where did you last see it last? He said, well, I left it on the seat of the car. Why would you leave your wallet on the seat of the car? I said, do you think it fell out of the car 
when we got lunch? Do you think it fell out of the car when we got out of the dorm? Do you think it fell out of the car into a box? So we spent, must have been uh, maybe an hour, and he had to be at cross-country practice. He's getting freaked out. We're looking all over, you know, his room. He, we're, we're, everything is getting unpacked. It's all over the floor everywhere. And he is really starting to freak out. And then I realized that I have lost his keys. <laughs> he says, do you think we better go back look in the truck, Dad, to see where my, my, my wallet, I left it in there. Maybe there's a place we missed. I said, I don't know because I can't find the keys. I lost your keys. And he goes, oh, Dad, you lost the keys. Why are you always losing my things? <laughs> so we're walking out to my car thinking maybe somehow it got in my car. And I don't usually believe that you should, dear God, would you help me find a parking spot or help me find where I left my keys. But I was in a moment of exhaustion, desperation. And I said, Lord, you are familiar with all of our ways. <laughs> he is my son and I am his dad and we don't live in the real world. I lose my stuff, I lose his stuff, we lose everything. We both have the same cowlick on the top of our head that we had to paste down with spit. We're the same person. Please help me find my son's wallet. Now, I don't ever usually do that. But I have to tell you, we opened up the car door and there it was in my car. How did that happen? I don't know. He blamed me, right? <laughs> so, so I said, I prayed, Alex. I prayed that we would find your wallet. He goes, Dad, I don't think that God cares about my wallet. But maybe God helped you just focus for, some ch for a change. Right. And then he goes, I'm sorry, Dad. I lost my cool. I'm sorry too, Alex. He said, I'm so sorry. I freaked out. And I'm always losing my stuff. And I said, it's, it's who you are. You're my son. I'm your dad. That's just the way God made us. We're that way. Now, I thought about that. God is familiar with all our ways. And when God sees me losing my stuff and losing my son's stuff, or, or what, that's David. Look at him. That's the way he was made. Isn't it, well, isn't it great? <laughs> he can remember so many people's names, he can't remember where he put his keys. That's the idea. God is familiar with you. God knows all about you. He knows your heart. He knows your ways. He knows your dreams. He says, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Now, here's the first thing I would say to you about this is that there are 7.6 billion people on the earth today. And every single person on the earth has God's undivided attention. Every person. All 7.6 billion, the infinite God knows the hearts and minds of every person. That's what David is saying here. Back to my original question then, is that a good thing? Is it? It depends on how you were raised. If you grew up with parents that were distant and demanding, it may not be a good thing. I read an article about uh, Lisa Brennan Jobs, who is the daughter of Steve Jobs. When she was in high school, she went to live with her dad and her stepmom. And she has written an autobiography talking about growing up as the eldest daughter of Steve Jobs. Said that, she said to her parents one night, her dad and stepmom, why don't you ever say good night to me at night? Why, why don't you speak to me at night before I go to bed and wish me a good night? And they said, 
it's because we're not warm people. We're just cold people. Silence. Now, that's an extreme example. But there are some of us who grew up in homes where the A wasn't good enough. Third place wasn't good enough. Your best effort wasn't good enough. Where you were never praised. You were never said, I love you. You grew up in the home where you were critiqued. If you grew up in that kind of home, sometimes it makes God think that God is distant and demanding. But that's not the point of the psalm. The psalm basically says that God is warm and welcoming. If you grew up in a home with parents that were warm and welcoming, then your idea of who God is is going to be warm and welcoming. So sometimes we have to change the way that we think about God. And that makes it really makes it important for us to realize and understand that when we are parenting, grandparenting, parenting, nephewing or niecing, or just hanging out at the church with kids, that we must remember that the way that we relate to them often is going to shape the way that they see and understand God. My granddaughter spent the whole day with me on Friday because the day before she wasn't feeling very well, and she just needed to be off one more day. In the middle of the day, for some reason or other, her stomach started hurting. Now, I will honestly tell you, you don't want to be with me when you're sick. I'm not a good caregiver. I'll just admit it. So she has a stomach ache and she says, Poppy, my stomach hurts. What do I do? I said, well, just put your hands up in the air like this. I said, put your hands down. Put your hands out. And I thought maybe it would just distract her a little bit. I said, she did this for about a minute or two, you know, like this. And I said, do you feel better? She said, no, my arms are tired. <laughs> so, so then I remembered my sermon. And so I know that the way that she will see God someday is the way that we, so I just said, come here. And I put my arms around her and, and, welcome, and brought her in close and held her just for a few minutes. Feel better? I feel better. Now I feel better. This didn't help, but this, this did help. So, you know, we got to let God come in and, and God wrap his arms around us. The next part of the psalm says this, basically. So where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now notice that. Your right hand's going to hold me. I'm in a difficult spot. David is saying, based on my experience, that God is going to hold fast to me. And if I say, surely this darkness is going to engulf me and this darkness is going to hide me and the light become night around me and I find myself in some dark place, even the darkness is not too dark for me. I can find you where you are. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness will be as light to you. I, I read this week about a circumstance, and it could be any place in the world, where some children are suffering. It's a re, it could be a refugee camp or any place in the world like this. I don't need to describe the specific situation other than to say that there are children who are suffering, living in poverty. They don't have food, and relief workers are there to take care of these children. 
And uh, one of the relief workers got there on site, and there was another relief worker who looked at the situation and said, when I look at what's going on in the world, and I see what's happening in the world, the way children are suffering in the world, it makes me question the existence of God. This psalm says that God is present all the time, everywhere. This psalm says that God will never leave his post. That God is always with us. That God is always on the job. When I read that, that suffering makes us question the existence of God, it made me think this instead, that no, suffering doesn't question or deny the existence of God. What it does is it reflects the true character of our human hearts. That it doesn't reflect the absence of God. It represents the absence of good people to relieve suffering. When we look at suffering in the world, it's not that God is not there. It's that human beings hurt other human beings. And what the Bible teaches, that there is no place on this earth where God cannot be found. God is present with every suffering human being. And that if we want to encounter God, we encounter the suffering. We bring aid to the suffering. That's the story, the narrative of Jesus. That Jesus became a human being and took the suffering of the world on his body and entered into darkness. And that when we and all these children in the world that don't feel love, it's up to us to be the warm and welcoming presence of God in their lives. It does not deny God's existence. Our absence denies our humanity. The next part of the psalm, for you created my inmost being. Look at the tenderness and the, and the affection here. The tenderness and the affection for you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Think about this. When you're lacking confidence, when you're struggling with yourself, when you're facing a difficult decision in your life, when you're walking through some darkness in your life, doesn't it do a lot for your self-esteem to know that God is with you and that God created you and knows you intimately. He says, my frame was not hidden you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is the truth of this scripture. That you, you are unique in God's eyes. There's only one you. Your life is not an accident. Your life was intentional and purposeful. And that every person on this earth is God's beautiful and unique creation. I, love, I just love that. I heard the story recently of a woman who grew up in the foster care system. can't remember her name, but I'll never forget her story. And she went from home to home to home, and she never had her own family. She always felt like a house guest in someone else's family. She eventually left the foster care system, and then she went off to college, and she graduated from college. And she said, one of the saddest days of my life was the day that I finally achieved something that was 
hard for most people to achieve in the foster care systems. I got my college degree and to know that there was no one there to cheer for me. No one there for me to take a photograph with. No one there to hug me and say, I'm proud of you. We're proud of you. That she felt all alone in the world. Everybody needs to know that there's someone cheering for them and cheering for you. And I thought to myself with this psalm is that she may not have parents on this earth, but she does have a God that loves her. And our mission and purpose in this life is not only to know that for ourselves, but to share that with every single human being on the earth, that you are unique in God's eyes and that God cares about you and loves you. Marla, that's what you do with hand-in-hand ministries. That's what your ministry does is you are helping affirm who they are and to say, there's someone cheering for you, that you belong to someone, that the, in, the infinite God cares about you intimately and helping a person know that and to understand it so they can pick themselves up off the ground and live their life. He goes on then he says, how precious to me, this is this, listen to his heart, this is, how precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I'm awake, I am still with you. This is a person that has a relationship with God. God, I know you and you know me. And I'm with you. You're with me. And I'm with you. When I'm asleep, you're watching over me. And when I'm awake, I'm with you. Every moment of life is precious. You are capable of more than you could ever dream or imagine. You're never too old to enjoy life. You're never too young to enjoy life. Every single moment of life is sacred and precious. And we are to look around us and see the beauty of how God just infuses everything around us with beauty to enjoy our life. God wants you to enjoy your life. Then we look at the end of the psalm. So knowing all this, David is saying we don't have to be afraid. Search me. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. And then he says essentially, see if there's anything in me. You know, you know all about me. See if there's anything in me that needs to be different. I'm available. What do you want to do with me? I know you know what's best for me. And lead me in the way that's everlasting. And you know a life that pleases God ultimately will please us. So you'd ask the question, why do I need to tell God all why do I need to talk to God about myself and ask God to search me if God already knows me? You know why? Because you don't know you. And I don't know me. God knows all, but we don't know all. And so the path to self-discovery is God discovery. We're basically telling the one that created us and made us, help me know why I'm here. Help me know my purpose. Help me know what you want me to do with my life and lead me in this way. I I used to read this psalm, and this psalm used to really bother me because it, 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 it unsettled me. God knows everything about me, and there were things about me I wasn't proud of. But now that I look at this psalm differently, this is what this psalm does for me. And this is the gift of this psalm. It's about peace. 
there is a peace that comes with God's presence. Right now in your life, some of you are struggling. You're struggling in your family. You're struggling with the decision that you've made. You're worried about the future. You have some uncertainty. You're exhausted. The Apostle Paul says this in his letter to the Philippians, Rejoice again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. Bring all your prayer requests and petitions to me, and I will give you peace. A peace that transcends understanding. Focus your heart and mind on beautiful things. The beautiful things of God's presence, Paul says. And God will give you peace. That doesn't mean that the medical diagnosis will go away. It doesn't mean that the situation will immediately resolve itself. It doesn't mean that you're going to face uncertainty. It doesn't mean that the problem will be solved. But this is what it does mean. It does mean that there is a strength that comes from the presence of God to face whatever it is that you need to face and endure what you ever you need to endure. And as he says in the psalm, I'm going to hold you fast. It's just putting out your hand and your heart and your life and offering God your life in those anxious moments. Here I am. God, you're here for me. Come take me and take my hand. You know, there's a lot of things I don't know about, but I know this. There is a peace that comes with God's presence. 